Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific program for you today, including special guest William Yateman, a senior legal fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. Michael Cannon is Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. He'll be joining us, as well as Mark Meckler, the president of Convention of States Action. A very interesting concept of bringing power of... Uh, back to the people, and uh, Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture, author of many books, his latest, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design. It is January the 5th, and on this day in 1949, President Harry S. Truman announced in his State of the Union address that every American has a right to expect from our government a fair deal. In a reference to Franklin Roosevelt's New Deal policies, Truman announced his plans for domestic policy reforms, including national health insurance, public housing, civil rights legislation, and federal aid to education. He advocated an increase in the minimum wage, federal assistance to farmers, and an extension of the Social Security, as well as urging the immediate implementation of anti-discrimination policies in employment. Truman argued for an ambitious liberal agenda based on the policies first articulated by his predecessor, Franklin D. Roosevelt. However, the nation's policies and politics had shifted rightward in the years following World War II and inflation, economic conversion from wartime to peacetime industries, and growing anti-communist sentiment provided major obstacles to Truman's plans. To a growing contingency of conservatives and Southern Democrats in Congress, the fair deal smacked of socialism. After his landslide re-election in 1948, Truman managed to convince Congress to pass several of his liberal reforms. It almost doubled the minimum wage from, get this, 40 cents to 75 cents an hour, established the Housing Act, which provided 800,000 new housing houses for the poor. Though Congress approved Truman's extension of Social Security benefits, it rejected the idea of national health care, avoided passing any new civil rights legislation, and failed to aggressively tackle concerns over fair labor, labor practices. Beginning in 1950, foreign affairs, particularly the Korean War and the Cold War, increasingly distracted Truman from his domestic issues. Truman was, <laughs> I think, a, a great, a very honest, courageous man. Remember, had on his desk the sign that said that the buck stops here. Uh, but some of these ideas, of course, are a smack of socialism. <clears throat> Fortunately, uh, he was distracted by international issues. I found this quote, and I'd like to share it with you because I think it really sets the pins for a lot of interesting discussions. This is from Plato. If you do not take an interest in the affairs of your government, then you are doomed to live under the rule of fools. That's Plato. Is that happening now? Well, stocks continue their slow start in the year with the Nasdaq dropping for its fifth straight day, marking its longest losing streak in over a year. Your stock market closed mixed yesterday. Futures are down today, so it looks like we're off to a slow start in 2024. Well, let's talk about the Wolf of Wall Street. Who's that? 
Well, Nancy Pelosi's investment portfolio has once again emerged as one of the top performers on Capitol Hill with a 65% return in 2023. That was more than twice the S&P's 500's gain of 24%. Her portfolio included stock options that helped drive her returns. Pelosi's not alone in using options to drive investment gains, with other members of Congress also turning to options trading to enhance their portfolios. Representative Mark Green from Tennessee saw a return of 122%, and Josh Goldheimer from New Jersey was up by more than 25%. Options trading on Capitol Hill also saw a significant surge, reaching a record of more than $160 million in 2023, up from $30 million in the previous year. Despite the decline in the number of congressional trades, which fell from 14,000 to 11,000 in 2023, options trading has grown rapidly. However, ethics watchdogs believe the option trading may be a sign of corruption or indicate access to inside information. You think? <laughs> it's, uh, is it impossible or improbable that members of Congress are finding profit opportunities that hedge funds and other sophisticated investors are missing out on? This raises suspicions that uh, lawmakers may have access to inside information that helps them make profitable trades. There's no question in my mind <clears throat> that that's the case. Again, using options is a risky strategy if you're trading naked options, uh, but uh, if you have inside information, that may be the key. It seems to me that uh, uh, members of Congress should have the option of, of trading in stocks or receiving a salary, one or the other. Being a little facetious about that, but it makes a point that they make $170,000 a year. They could certainly put off trading in stocks until after their term is finished. Well, recent polls suggest that President Joe Biden may not be the best candidate for the Democrat Party in 2024. He appears uh, to be losing in theoretical general election against Donald Trump by six points, according to a recent CNBC poll. Uh, just over a year ago, Biden held a 10-point lead over Trump in December of 2019. According to a Marquette University poll, uh, Biden trails Trump on significant issues such as the economy by 21 points, border security by 23 points, the Israeli-Hamas war 11 points. These battles may uh, cause Biden to lose ground with the Democrat Party's core, such as young liberal and non-white voters, much like Carter's battles during the re-election campaign. Recent polling in the swing states has shown that support among African-American, Latino, and younger voters is eroding significantly. In a recent AP NORC poll uh, revealed that only 50% of African-Americans approve of Biden's presidency, a, sh a sharp drop from 86% in July of 2021. Furthermore, young voters aged 18 to 29 are anxious about Biden's handling of the Iraq-Israeli-Hamas conflict. In the latest uh, New York Times Siena uh, College poll, three quarters of this group disapprove of Biden's handling of the issue. It remains to be seen how these factors will play out in 2024 election, but for now, several polls suggest that Biden may not be the best candidate for the Democrat Party in 2024. So, what are they going to do about this? It's a big conundrum. Well, here's one solution recommended by a Democrat. According to former Obama campaign manager David Plouffe, uh, if liberal voters decide to support Nikki Haley during the GOP primary elections, they could potentially hinder the chances of former President Donald Trump winning in November. And while some voters <clears throat> may find the idea of intentionally voting for Haley distasteful, even dishonest, 
Uh, Plouffe suggested that for those that are up for it, casting a strategic vote could be a good move. He believes that primary win for Haley in New Hampshire, or at least a transition to a two-person race, could take advantage of the healthy number of Republicans he believes who are open open to an alternative to Trump. Plouffe argued that if uh, Haley can win the primary in New Hampshire, or at least get it down to two-person race, then she can take advantage of the healthy number of Republicans who are open to an alternative, despite Trump being the dominant favorite. I think if you speak to uh, Trump supporters, they're they're not up for an alternative. They see Donald Trump as the true hope for the future. So he goes on, though, so I think for liberals or Democrats or independents who might not ever uh, support Nikki Haley to be president, to cast a strategic or tactical vote to me makes a lot of sense, he said on MSNBC. I don't know if it'll stop Trump, he added, but it could help extend the primary. Despite Trump being the clear favorite among Republican voters, Plouffe argued that if Haley were to secure the nomination, she could potentially appeal to a larger voter base by being seen as a more moderate alternative to Trump. In fact, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy was interviewed by Tucker Carlson, and he laid out the case that he believes that, uh, and he's not attacking Nikki Haley, he simply says that she's not uh, uh, bound by any kind of uh, dialogue, uh, ideology, uh, but she wants to get elected, and uh, she could certainly uh, serve as a tool for the uh, Democrat Party. So, Vivek Ramaswamy suggests that this is a strategy and it's being worked right now with the Democrat Party. Interesting. Well, federal agencies under White House control issued the most regulations for every law passed in nearly three decades. The latest sign that the president's team is using red tape uh, to force its agenda on the country. For every law passed by Congress and signed by President Joe Biden, agencies have issued Get this, 46 regulations, the highest percentage since 1995. The upshot here is that 46 agency rules were issued for every law passed by Congress in 2023 compared to 13 the year before, that according to Clyde Wayne Cruz of the Competitive Enterprise Institute. The average of the past decade has been 24 rules issued for every law passed. Now, you may recall that during Trump's term, uh, he actually said if we're going to... pass a new regulation or create a new regulation, we need to cut out at least two. And uh, he did that. And it uh, certainly greased the wheels of the economy right now. This is uh, like walking through saltwater taffy here with the uh, Biden uh, economy with uh, so many regulations that uh, it's really gumming up the works. While the Trump campaign team has released what it says is the documentation of election fraud in 2020 in the swing states of Georgia, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Arizona, and Michigan, former President Donald Trump said the statement announcing the release of this document, I am pleased to share a report that is fully verified. Most of the information was gotten from government sources, tapes, and other public records and compiled by the most highly qualified election experts in the country. According to investigations in the swing states, swing states reveal hundreds of thousands of votes were altered and or not lawfully cast in the presidential election. Biden needed them, needed them. On election night, November 3rd, 2020, President Donald Trump was sailing to re-election with landslide leads in numerous battleground states. In Georgia, President Trump was up by 12 points and over 335,000 votes, with 56% of the vote in at 10.17 p.m. In Wisconsin, President Trump was leading by 121,000, 
380 votes and five points at 12.12 a.m., uh, which Fox News anchor uh, Brett Baer noted there was not a small margin. In Pennsylvania, President Trump was leading by 659,145 votes at 12.38 a.m., a full 15 points. In Michigan, Trump was leading by 293,000 uh, and a 10-point lead. The election was over. However, precincts in Atlanta, Detroit, Philadelphia, Phoenix, and Milwaukee kept counting until the results reached the desired outcome, which is the opposite of uh, the will of the voters. Georgia went on having a total of 4.7 million votes, already a record in the state, according to uh, Brad Raffenberger's count on November the 4th, and certifying over 5 million votes. This was 300,000 more votes than was the top election officials claimed were cast in the election. So uh, this is an interesting document. I don't have the whole document here in front of me, but it seems to be a long, a long time in coming. I'm happy he developed it. But second of all, probably could be used in court when he gets to these January 6th uh, bogus uh, lawsuits. <clears throat> this segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, William Yateman, Senior Legal Fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. And now serving dinner, 4 to 8 p.m., Wednesdays through Saturdays, a terrific menu. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. 
or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with Mark Meckler. He is the president of the Convention of States. Right now we have with us William Yateman. He is a senior legal fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. William, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure, William. Tell us about the Pacific Legal Foundation. You bet. We're a, uh, we're a nonprofit law firm, and we defend Americans for free from government op- who are suffering from government overreach and abuse. I think all of us could fit. <laughs> uh, alas. <yeah. laughs> Indeed. But the, the website is to find out more, pacificlegal.org, pacificlegal.org. So, William, uh, let's talk about things that are going on on Capitol Hill. And President Biden is going to give his big speech today to roll out his campaign. love to get your thoughts about that. Indeed. So a uh, big speech at Valley Forge, um, a location with, uh, that the campaign purports has significance to the, their message, um, and it complements the rollout <coughs> of their first major campaign ad. And the theme here is that democracy is on the ballot. Um, uh, from the campaign ad, I'm quoting directly, they say something dangerous is happening in America, and they warn of an extremist movement um, and the threat to democracy as we know it. It's called the Biden administration. <laughs> well, indeed. So yeah, that was very much one of the two things I was going to bring up. Um, and the first is that, you know, presidents normally, um, when they seek re-election, are focusing on pocketbook issues. And it, it is, it's uh, rare and indeed uh, anomalous uh-huh. that Biden would focus on his opponent. Um, and indeed, these reported threats to democracy. And then the second one, as you, as you noted, um, this is absurdly ironic. Um, given that uh, a crisis to democracy is part and parcel of Biden's re-election strategy. I mean, it, it is, you know, as we've noted multiple Fridays, we've got a slow-rolling constitutional crisis. Um, one administration, the incumbent administration, has his a political opponent on trial. Um, yeah. And the plan is, the intent is, to have him on trial in a courtroom during the campaign, during the heat of the campaign. Um, which I would say, given that Trump uh, accrued 74 million votes in the 2020 election, I guess that's the extremist movement, quote-unquote, that he was referring to in the campaign ad, um, that's very much uh, a crisis to our democracy, to our elections process. So I find it remarkable. I find it uh, politically anomalous, and uh, as a matter of irony, I find it absolutely astounding. Absolutely. And in addition to that, of course, uh, we've got about a third of the uh, voters right now believe that uh, the FBI led the insurrection and created the, uh, the, the issue up in Capitol Hill on tomorrow will be the third anniversary of uh, January 6th. Uh, and, uh, you know, you're seeing now the attempt to get uh, Trump off the ballot in several states. I mean, this is like a banana republic. Well, gosh, uh, now, uh, God bless the U.S. of A., and I still think we're the best country, uh, you know, out there uh, uh, among them all. Um, And to be sure, uh, I'm not in no way condoning what happened on January 6th, and I I guess I disagree with a third of Americans who think it was um, caused by the FBI. 
But I wholeheartedly agree with your take on, you know, the removing ball- uh, Trump from the ballot in Colorado and Maine, um, which in addition to this ongoing 1-6 trial in Washington, D.C. against Trump, you know, again, is a clear and present crisis to our democratic order. And for the president to sort of double down on an Orwellian take um, uh, on what's happening as his re-election is the central plank of his re-election platform, um, again, it, it's a, a sad commentary upon contemporary politics. It is indeed. Uh, before I let you go, though, I do want to talk to you about uh, what's happening with uh, the congressional appropriations efforts. It seems to me that right now Mike Johnson, is uh, the uh, Speaker of the House, has kind of painted himself in a corner here with not much time left and uh, a whole lot to do. You're exactly right. It, it is a total mess. Um, I'll note this. So midweek, he was at the border. And whereas I am sympathetic to the House GOP's immigration policies, he announced that his top two priorities for negotiating the spending bills were one, to secure the border, and then two, to reduce discretionary non-defense spending. Um, And again, I'm sympathetic to these immigration aims, but I do wonder why curtailing spending would be the second priority in spending negotiations. Um, so it, it is, I, I, alas, I don't have much to report. They, Congress just returned into town this past week, um, but they've very much fallen behind on the 12 appropriations bills. They can't seem to get together on a top-line number, and it, it seems as though they're perhaps trying to give impetus to immigration to cover for their failures on spending. Um, so uh, to be continued, we'll stay tuned, but um, I'm, I'm losing my patience, I guess, a bit with <laughs> with uh, Mike Johnson's promises when yeah. he assumed the role of speaker and sort of what we're seeing. So. Well, you know, uh, and, and part of the problem is that every time the whole notion of the government shutting down, uh, it's like uh, Chicken Little. Uh, the people are just uh, just really uh, uh, mesmerized and uh, frightened by the whole notion that the government may shut down. And if you take a look at the federal government right now and its massive overreach, uh, all this happened because Congress was in session. <laughs> and, 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 and you know what? If, if in fact, it shut down for a couple of months until they got the appropriation bills completed, uh, you know, and I'm not sure that would be a bad thing. From your lips to God's ears. You agree. Oh, and do look, the government, first off, a government shutdown, it, it, that's a bit of a misnomer. I mean, they have all sorts of mechanisms by which they reshuffle money and continue the machine running. Right. Um, but, but on the substance, I wholeheartedly agree. I'm a libertarian. So, yes, it, 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 I think that a government shutdown um, perhaps would uh, 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 lend clarity to Congress's mission, especially when it comes to spending. And uh, I don't buy into at all sort of the alarmism that often attends these the possibility of a government shutdown. Boy, alarmism, that was the word I was looking for. Uh, Again, William Yateman, Senior Legal Fellow at Pacific Legal Foundation. Again, pacificlegal.org is the website. William, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Bob, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Year to you as well. All right, coming up, Michael Cannon, Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network.
Are you looking to buy or sell a home? Make it a convenient and stress-free experience by calling the dynamic and trustworthy husband and wife team of Megan and Matt Chionis with Gulf Coast International Properties. Find out about their unique and complimentary post-closing concierge services not offered by other area agents. Matt and Megan Chionis give you the competitive advantage to command a premium price for your property. They personally attend all showings, create a marketing strategy for your property, and offer that complimentary concierge service to your potential buyer. This hands-on approach has helped them set several sales records in Pelican Bay and many at near-record prices. Megan and Matt Chionis understand that as an affluent buyer-seller, your needs and desires are unique. You deserve this level of service. Megan and Matt Chionis are passionate about the Naples lifestyle and they want you to enjoy it too. Call Megan and Matt Chionis with Gulf Coast International Properties at 239-269-5310. That's 239-269-5310. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Tim Garrett, candidate for Collier County Supervisor of Elections. He's a 33-year resident of Collier County, a military veteran, a retired sheriff's officer, and a graduate of the FBI National Academy. He stands for safe, secure, ethical elections in Collier County. Vote for Tim Garrett and check out his website, votefortimgarrett.com. Paid for by Tim Garrett, Republican for Collier County Supervisor of Elections. By the way, Tim's a great guy, too. I've known him for years, and uh, he'd make a great supervisor of elections. We have with us Michael Cannon. He is Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Michael, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Great to be back, Bob. Thank you, Michael. Tell us about the Cato Institute. Well, Cato Institute is a think tank in Washington, D.C. We uh, have a libertarian perspective, which means we want you to be able to uh, live your life however you want, as long as you respect the equal rights of others. Cato.org is the website. C-A-T-O.org. Terrific website. I hope you'll check it out. So, Michael, uh, last night Nikki Haley was on television. She was talking about waste in Medicare. And uh, and I read another column today that we have billions and billions of dollars of waste and misappropriated funds. Uh, one of the primary areas is the area of Medicare and Medicaid. What if you had any comments? So I, I watched uh, Nikki Haley last night in this town hall. CNN was hosting, uh, uh, featuring just her and voters asking her questions. She had a lot to say about a lot of things. Voters asked a lot of questions. None of it was about health care. Unfortunately, the closest uh, she came, despite the fact that, you know, the health care is the main reason why the federal 
budget is growing, why the federal deficit is growing, why the federal debt is growing as a share of GDP. Uh, the uh, There was almost no mention of it, even though she was talking about fiscal rectitude, uh, balancing the budget as a governor, and how she would do so as president, almost no mention of health care. The closest uh, she came was to talk about COVID relief funds hmm. and how and how Congress spent $2.2 trillion and, uh, and how she wants to claw back uh, $100 billion of unspent funds or go after the fraud in COVID funds, which she estimated was about 14% uh-huh. of, of, of that spending, which is great. I think that Congress should do that. Uh, I, I wish, uh, though, that politicians would take that attitude toward uh, fraud in government programs every year. Because if you look at the Medicare program and the Medicaid program, they spend about uh, that much every year, not just it's not just a one time thing, but uh, they are programs that cost about um, uh, a trillion dollars each. Yeah. And the best estimates are that there's 14 percent or more that, uh, of that spending that goes to fraud, uh, not to mention waste, uh, which is uh, uh, people have clocked at 30 percent of Medicare and Medicaid expenditures. Uh, for some reason, uh, that doesn't attract nearly the attention as this one-time expenditure of COVID relief funds. Yeah, I mean, you know, waste and COVID relief funds indeed. And uh, again, uh, very little is being do- done to uh, recover. In fact, I think I read someplace that they're actually giving a, if you if you give back the money that to the government that you uh, received illegitimately, you can keep 20% of it as an incentive for people to cooperate with the program. You know what? If that works, fine. Because <laughs> that means that the federal government would be getting 80% of the waste or the fraud back. Uh, but, and that the government does do something like that uh, for uh, Medicare and Medicaid and really all other government programs. There are... Uh, provisions in the law that allow whistleblowers to keep some of the money that the government recovers uh, uh, after that whistleblower b- or identifies uh, that fraud or improper those improper payments. Huh. I'm all in favor of that. You want to give people an incentive to report on that because the incentives are uh, to do something about fraud are otherwise non-existent. Yeah. I mean, it's... Uh, Government is just people spending other people's money, and nobody spends other people's money as carefully as they spend their own. Right. And so, anytime, uh, so the Medicare and Medicaid programs, they just write, write checks to doctors and hospitals and drug companies and insurance companies, and those checks just fly out the door without any oversight. And what the federal government does. Its approach to trying to stamp out fraud is what people derisively call pay and chase, which is they don't scrutinize the bills that doctors or hospitals send them uh, before the federal government cuts a check. They look at these bills, they just cut a check, and then they uh, decide whether or not they're going to see if that uh, 
bill that the healthcare provider sent was proper or not. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is, there's no way that would happen in, uh, in a market system. There's no way that uh, consumers would spend their own money that way or Congress would spend uh, money that way if its own members were on the hook for any, uh, for any money lost to waste or fraud. You know, this just reminds me that uh, we have continuing resolutions uh, to fund our government right now. We're hoping for regular order to be implemented by the uh, by uh, the House of Representatives through Mike Johnson's leadership and as the Speaker of the House. Uh, but uh, you know, these regular the uh, continuing resolutions were based on trillions of dollars that were paid out. So it it bumped up the amount of money that was paid out. I think in two thousand twenty two or twenty one, if I'm not mistaken. And then they uh, simply uh, create a budget, uh, not necessarily a budget, but amount of money that can be spent based on the previous year expenditures. So all of a sudden we have trillions of dollars of increased expenditures, and we say that the budgets, uh, the expenditures are not going up. It's unbelievable. And every one of those expenditures has a lobbyist or a lobby in Washington that's going to protect it. Mm-hmm. So anytime Congress wants to uh, cut spending on defense or on education or Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, what have you, there's a lobby that, uh, that, that gears up and threatens to throw out of office any member of Congress who votes for those cuts. Yep. Um, and, and the same is true of fraudulent payments in Medicare and Medicaid. When Congress has tried to ramp up enforcement efforts of uh, anti-fraud measures, you hear from the fraud lobby. And the fraud lobby, it just looks a lot like the Medicare and Medicaid lobbies. They are uh, hospitals and insurance companies and doctors and pharmaceutical companies who don't want Congress to do anything that cuts Medicare or Medicaid spending. Uh, Even uh, if it's fraudulent, because they know that some of that fraud or, or, or some of the money that uh, the Congress tries to stop going out the door is, is going to be their revenues. Yeah. They know that they're getting some of that fraud, and they don't want the gravy train to stop. Isn't that amazing? Uh, again, uh, retiring Congressman Kurt Clausen here in, on the Paradise Coast, he went to Washington. He served for a term and a half, actually, so about three years. Uh, but afterwards, he told me, he said, Bob, you know, we've got the best government that money can buy. And by that, I mean, I meant, he meant exactly what you just said, which is, is, is K Street that actually uh, <laughs> determines how legislation is done because uh, they pay into the election uh, uh, funds for uh, getting these people reelected if they support their issues. That's right. Uh, 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 contributions to the parties, contributions to individual candidates, lobbying campaigns where they encourage uh, voters to call the members of Congress uh, and, and uh, don't um, cut Medicare Advantage payments to insurance companies or so forth. And, and that, is, that is how we get a, uh, a national debt that is equal to U.S. GDP. It's the, the, what they call the debt-to-GDP ratio is about one right now because the federal debt is the size of the entire economy. And there is one other thing that helps, though, Bob, which is that the federal government does not have a balanced budget requirement. 
Yeah, exactly. There's no uh, legal requirement that the federal government balance its budget. And as a result, what you get is all the people who want uh, the federal government to spend more, uh, they go and do all this lobbying that that we've been talking about. But Congress, uh, but taxes are unpopular. And if Congress tries to pay for all that spending with higher taxes, uh, people will lobby to stop that, the, the, those higher taxes. Um, and what you end up with is a deficit. Exactly. Uh, a deficit that, ra- that, that piles up and piles up until Congress has a debt that's equal to the entire U.S. economy. And actually, the, actually, balance, Michael, it's about 123% of the economy, right? GDP compared to debt. So it's even worse than you're describing. Michael Cannon, again, Director of Health Policy Study at the Cato Institute. I hope you check out Cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. Michael, always appreciate your commentary on the show. Great conversation. Thanks for joining us. Always great to be here, Bob. Thanks. Thank you, Michael. All right, coming up, uh, Mark Meckler. He is the president of Convention of States. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Two-thirds of parents prefer educational options for their children, with 40% strongly preferring options for their child's education. School choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit corporation, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior quality schools of choice. Optima's goal was the successful launch of Hillsdale College Varney Charter School, Initiative Classical Academies, and other schools of excellence across the state of Florida, serving kindergarten through the 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through a content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. In a terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy has already opened here in Naples. You can find out more by visiting the website Optima.Foundation. Help children in Florida optimize their educational opportunities. Visit www.Optima.Foundation. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. And you can find out more and get tickets for some great upcoming performances. The website is Gulf Shore Playhouse. 
org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. Right now we have with us Mark Meckler. He is the president of Convention of States. Mark, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Well, good morning. Thanks for having me. My pleasure, Mark. Tell us about the Convention of States. Sure. Well, you know, I know a lot of your listeners will reflect on this and feel the same when I say that the federal government is out of control, and it has been for a long time. We're very blessed because the framers of the Constitution gave us a remedy that most people don't know about. It's found in Article 5 of the Constitution. There are two ways that we can amend the Constitution in Article 5. One is Congress proposes amendments, and then the states ratify. And the second way, which we've never used in this country, is that the states can gather in convention and they can propose amendments to restrain federal overreach, uh, and then they can send those amendments out to the states for ratification. And so this is something we've never done before in American history. I think most people would agree that the federal government is not going to restrain itself. $34 trillion in debt and counting, that doesn't include all the unfunded liabilities. Uh, people want term limits. They won't impose term limits on themselves. People need believe there needs to be a balanced budget. These are things that the Congress will never impose on itself, but the people can by calling an Article 5 convention. So our organization, Convention of States, is engaged in that process. It takes 34 states to call a convention, two-thirds of states. Uh, so far, 19 states have done so, including Florida. Now, that's outstanding. So uh, how's, I mean, how's progress going? Do you have other candidates and states that you're working on? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I would say this year, uh, Iowa looks very good. Idaho looks very good. North Carolina looks good. Ohio looks possible. I'd say we're looking at at least four additional states in the coming legislative session. That's terrific. Now, how do you constrain, uh, you'd mentioned a couple of things, uh, term limits uh, and, and a balanced budget. How do you constrain the issues that are brought up? Because I'm sure it's not just uh, Republicans and conservatives, but Democrats that can participate in the convention as well. Yeah, I mean, Democrats can, uh, liberals can, but they are very opposed to this idea because the convention is very restrained to conservative ideas, generally speaking. The way it's constrained is that every single state has to pass the same resolution which calls for a convention around a particular set of subjects. So the set of subjects under this resolution that Florida and other states are passing calls for discussion of term limits, discussion of fiscal restraints on the federal government, and discussion of scope and jurisdiction or power restraints on the federal government. So the only thing that can be discussed in this convention, uh, according to the terms of the convention agreed to by the states in advance, is anything that would restrain the federal government. Hmm. Well, that sounds outstanding. So uh, these 19 states you mentioned, they've all agreed to the to this limited agenda? Yeah, exactly the same agenda. That's a, there's a legal concept called aggregation, meaning in order to aggregate the applications and get to the necessary 34, they all have to match. That is outstanding, Mark. So <clears throat> uh, what are next steps? I mean, how, how can we support your efforts? So in all the states, including a state like Florida, where it's already passed, the Convention of States activists, there's a whole activist army out there in the country, over 5 million people. They're still active in the state legislatures. It is possible for a state to rescind an application. So our activists out, are out there working with legislators, making sure that they're constantly informed about the Convention of States and its progress. And this organization is now the largest grassroots conservative organization in America. So if folks are interested in other issues, like pro-life issues, pro-Second Amendment issues, property rights issues, tax reform issues, election integrity issues, our grassroots activists are trained and they're active in the legislatures every single cycle on all of these things. They're also 
running for office at the level of school board on up to to uh, the U.S. Congress. So folks can be involved if they're interested in politics in any way and interested in participating as opposed to just listening. They can get involved by going to conventionofstates.com, sign the petition, and then click on the Take Action tab, and that'll let them volunteer. So just to make sure that I understand, I think what you said is that uh, you certainly have this Article 5 convention effort moving forward, but in addition to that, you're recommending other type of conservative ideas across the nation. Yeah, you know, one of the things that we found is that as we trained up these activists, uh, what they're good at is everything that's important in politics. They they understand, we train them how the legislative process works, how their state legislature works, how to build a relationship with their own legislators. That's how you have influence in your legislature in the state. And so we realized that they're really good at this for the Convention of States application itself. But then once they get educated on that stuff, they're they're interested in all the other things that anybody's engaged in politics is interested in. So in every state, we usually have at least three sets of legislative priorities that we push forward in any legislative session. And our folks are engaged in all of that. So folks want to learn how to be an effective activist, how to be effective in politics, conventionofstates.com is the place to do that. Yeah, I point out that this is uh, not a not-for-profit, this is not a 501c3, this is 501c4, so it's action-oriented, it's issue-oriented, it's candidate-oriented, and uh, do do you actually uh, back candidates at all? Uh, it depends on the state and the, and the particular legalities in the state, but we definitely do. For example, in North Carolina, uh, we were very helpful in helping the North Carolina House to obtain a supermajority. And so anywhere we can, to the extent we legally can, there's a lot of legal nuance in the different states. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we're involved in candidate races as well. All right, again, uh, and the website? Conventionofstates.com, or folks can follow me personally on Twitter at Mark Meckler. Uh, on Twitter at Mark Meckler and conventionofstates.com. I hope you check out the very robust website. It's very interesting, and you can find out where your own state stands with regard to there's a map there that you can click on. So it's very interesting. Again, conventionofstates.com. Mark, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thanks for your time this morning, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up on a visit with Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston Space Architecture. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor.
Vaughn's Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Bob, it's always a pleasure. Thanks so much. My pleasure indeed. I'm afraid I had dead air there. I didn't pot up the microphones <laughs> before yep. I gave your introdu- introduction, but uh, I will say uh, Professor Bell has r- written several books, so we're going to talk about his column today. Professor, you wrote a column, Regularizing Illegal Immigrants Living in U.S. Bad Business. It certainly is, and maybe you could tell us about it. Well, yeah, I think a lot of us are pretty concerned about you know the immigrants estimating like pretty close to 10 million illegals that have crossed the border, and that, I guess that includes the uh, gotaways, more than a million of them. And so, uh, you know, this is uh, pretty tragic, and, and of course, we in Texas are getting hit pretty hard in a lot of the border states, but not just, not just us, also, of course, New York, Chicago, San Francisco, et cetera, and... Uh, it was kind of an irony I didn't put in the column about, you know, uh, the Biden administration now is suing Texas for passing legislation to uh, to to secure you know the the border between Mexico and Texas. And I saw my archivist, Secretary Marcus, on TV last night talking about how unpatriotic it was of Texas to <laughs> to, to, to to do this. Uh, have the audacity and the lack of patriotism to to send these, you know, the, the immigrants, illegal immigrants, uh, illegal aliens, really, throughout the country, and particularly to you know to Democrat states. And <laughs> me. but of course, you know, they they advertised that they were sanctuaries, and they they welcomed them, and and so uh, you know, I think it's. Is is pretty pretty uh, telling that they they the mayors of these of these communities a lot of them are they won't talk about closing the border but they'll just say well we need more help from the federal government to right. to house them and of course that's tax money and so on but the article really dealt with the costs and the economic costs of of these of these. Of these immigrants and it's billions and billions of dollars, and it's it's the cost of housing them, and it's the cost of of hospitalization costs, and 
you know, raise medical costs, and it's it's uh, you know the you know the costs of uh, transporting them, and 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 uh, you know it's it's uh, food stamps, and it's and it's you know incarceration, and you know the impact on crime issues. I didn't mention in the article in this particular one because articles have a length, but. There's also the you know the issue of you know terrorist threats of yeah. people crossing the border and being unvetted and so it's really not a laughing matter it's it's very serious matter and when uh, my archivist and Tony Anthony Blinken went to the went went to Mexico to to discuss this with the president you know they said well we had good meetings, and you say, well, what, what does that mean? And they talked about regularizing all of this. Well, there's nothing regular about it. Regularization sounds an awful like, like like they're pushing for amnesty. Right. And so uh, it's it's just a it's just a train wreck, and, uh, and you know, we've got another, nearly another year of this uh, without much uh, hope of change. Now, you're a professor and an author, but not an attorney necessarily, but uh, I'd be curious about uh, any thoughts about whether, in fact, uh, they will uphold the Texas law, because it's starting in March, uh, they they actually can arrest these people for violating the law and putting them in jail, trying them and putting them in jail. Well, I, I think there's another kind of parallel movement and issue right now where, as we look at the, you know, the, war, the lawfare against Trump, and I think the, the Supreme Court has been reluctant to get involved in a lot of this stuff because any decision is going to alienate half the country. And there, you know, you know that's that's a lot of that's a lot of pressure. But I think the the Supreme Court now they they refused to expedite a request by Jack Schmidt to uh, you know on 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 his hearings. On, uh, on the uh, immunity issue with President Biden, with President Trump, and uh, in, in the court hearings, of course, they want to have all of the they, the Democrats, want to have all of the the hoopla they can get during the election season about Trump did this and Trump did that and so on. But I think the Supreme Court, maybe, you know, I think they're the, they're the kind of the great hope right now is that. They will recognize that things are out of hand, and uh, even the even the liberal judges, you know, have have an investment in injustice, and uh, you know this will this will be their legacy as well. So uh, nobody knows what the courts are going to do, or what they're going to say, or what they're going to even accept on their dockets. But uh, right now, they're the only real hope. They really are, and just hope they put on their big boy pants and uh, deal with these issues, because if they deflect them or refuse to consider them, then it's going to create total chaos. And I know this is not necessary. I really appreciated the fact that you focused uh, a lot of your column about the, the actual financial costs of, of what's going on right now, and they are significant, and nobody wants to pay the bill, you know, but uh, nevertheless... If, if in fact the Supreme Court doesn't act on these issues, it's going to create political chaos because the Republicans can use the same types of strategies against the Democrats. Well, we've got so many unfunded liabilities already, and the, the debt, you know, in the in the thirties of billions of dollars, trillions of dollars, and 
and growing and and you know people talk about social security and other other issues and then we look at the the state municipal debts that are yeah. particularly you know look at illinois that's it's really deeply underwater among others that you know in terms of unfunded pension plans and so on that all these political promises that have been made and and you know the you know the illegal immigrant issue you know and also at a time when metropolitan budgets are being cut back and state budgets for for policing and, and services we need and the hospitals are being overrun with you know people who are they're on Medicaid and Medicare and so on and and then we've got in COVID you know they a lot of people really built the system with free money that they got from the government on, on COVID relief and those bills aren't all paid yet so you know the the you know of course all the free money isn't really all that free you know as much as the, the you know they can turn on the the printing presses I think uh, the the notion that that's going to uh, really solve the problem when when inflation is raging and and so on. Uh, we're we're acting so irresponsibly right now as as a population, and uh, and then taking on you know we're trying to think. Well, what is the upside of all of this in terms of why are we doing this? It's really all I can see. It's a vote. It's a vote collection thing on the part of the Democrats, right? Because they think that these people are going to vote Democratic and. Uh, of course, to do that, they got to give them amnesty. Professor, you just can't make this stuff up. It's unbelievable. Uh, 1984 all over again, uh, redo. Again, Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston, and uh, I, I was cut off. I didn't pot up the microphones. I do want to tell you his latest book, which is just terrific, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design by Larry Bell. I hope you'll check it out. And also, uh, Newsmax.com, his column is called On Point. Check it out. Professor, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. And Bob, it's mutual. Thank you so much. My pleasure indeed, Professor. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I really appreciate your listening in. And if you did, I hope you pass the word on to your friends and neighbors. That's one of the ways that we support our advertisers. And we can't do the show without them. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.